0: On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to speak with Chris Clothier, partner at REI Nation. We're going to talk to him about how he scaled his business to 11 different markets while maintaining his winning culture. That's next.
1: Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Annequim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen.
0: Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, and I'm hosting this from this amazing... Uh, property management conference. This is the property management mastermind conference at the Gaylord Texas Resort. And I'm super excited about this episode. We're talking to Chris Clothier, who is a partner at REI Nation. They run a property management company that is in 11 different markets. So I'm super excited to talk to him. Now, if you're familiar with the show, uh, Bootstrappers talks about topics that are important to real estate and property management entrepreneurs. Uh, Bootstrappers is also powered by Anaquim. Anaquim helps property management companies be more profitable through its various uh, business offerings, virtual assistance, 24-hour call center, and a full back office support. If you're a fan of the show, like, subscribe, tell all your friends. And you can leave us a message uh, in the bio of our Instagram page at Bootstrapper's Show or in the description of our YouTube channel. And if you leave a, a message for us, we have a book giveaway every single week. And at the end of the show, we'll tell you what that book is. So, with that, I'd like to introduce my fantastic guest, Chris Clothier. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me. Very excited.
0: Oh. So, I would love to know more about your business. So, tell us about REI Nation and what you do there.
1: Yeah. REI Nation is a family-owned company started by my father uh, almost two decades ago, back in, in 2003, and it started as a way for him to be able to acquire Real estate for himself, and then hold it for long term. He wanted to be a long term uh, real estate investor. What it grew into was other other professionals in the Memphis, Tennessee area began to approach my dad and say, "Hey, you're you're doing really well at, at acquiring properties, and they seem to be managed well. You're you know you're doing a good job with them. Can you help us acquire properties as well?" I've got a full time job. I a lot of, at the beginning they were FedEx pilots or or people that worked full-time jobs at, at FedEx, you know, the largest employer there in Memphis. And so, that's how REI Nation started. It originally was named Memphis Invest, and my dad began to acquire properties and help passive investors get those, you know, buy those properties from him. He helped them build their portfolios. We looked up, and uh, 18 years later, we're, you know, we're now in 11 markets. It's uh, called a full turnkey operation, so we buy, renovate, Uh, Place a resident into manage and then sell those assets to a passive investor that that simply wants to build a portfolio. And and I think we're uh, as I as I checked this morning, we're a little over 6,700 rooftops uh, in 11 11 different markets today.
0: That is incredible. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is not just your explosive growth, which is so exciting, but because you have grown based on. Company values and a culture that really helps you stand out. Right. Especially in an industry that's consolidating, and you know it's hard. It's hard to get any doors. It's a very competitive market. So, can you tell us a little bit about your company's culture?
1: Yeah. We. Um, so, my father. I have to go there always because he really at the top. He's the CEO, founder of the company, and he is the one who sets the tone for the rest of the company. But what makes us so unique, of course, the, myself and my brother followed. I was raised in this entrepreneurial environment and so I'd already started my own companies. What ended up happening was they, we merged, for lack of a better way to put it, and I, my company disappeared and I began to work with them. But I was brought into an environment of accountability mm-hmm. and where everyone held each other accountable. What that evolved into as we were growing was the team, not us, not a clothier, but the team would actually interview and hire everyone that we would add. And mm-hmm. we haven't been perfect through the years, you know, we've we've let people go, but you know, when the team sits down for an interview, and most people that we hire today go through three or four interviews with our company before we hire them, which you know the what we're what we're really doing is we're trying to scare that person away mm-hmm. from the accountability. You know, when oh. you have somebody sitting across me that says, you and I are going to be doing the same job, and if you don't keep up, I'm going to run you out of here. And that's a...
0: So you bring it up in the job interview Uh-oh. so that when you're holding people accountable in the job, it's not a surprise.
1: No. And, and, it's not, and that's the beauty of it. We're not doing it. It's our, our team that are doing it because they don't want to be held back. They, they do not want to answer for someone else's lack of energy, lack of drive, lack of love for what we're doing. And it's, it's odd to say that because these are jobs. You know, we're not, it's not like we're making a piece of furniture that when you're done you can look at it and say what, how beautiful it is. This is, you know, it's hard as a, you know, being in a management company, it's not always rewarding. But we've, we've managed to surround ourselves with really good people. We take care of them well. Uh, we give them a lot of, of freedom to, to perform but we hold them accountable.
0: So I just want to go back. You said that the accountability is, is driven by the other employees because they don't want to be held back. Right. That was the word you used. So is that because you have a huge vision for the organization and everybody's buying into that vision? Oh yeah. So can you tell us more about what your big, hairy, audacious goal is? Yeah,
1: yeah. So we, we've exceeded now over a billion dollars in asset value that we manage. It took us the first 17 and a half years to get there, and we're looking to add our second billion in the next four. Wow. We went from, you know, two markets when we, we moved into Dallas in 2012, so it took us 10 years to move into our second market. Over the next eight years, we moved into nine more. This year we're looking to move into six more.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And this is all that's possibly, you know, as long as everything lines up the way it's supposed sure. to, but so when you when you put those types of of goals in front of people, and you tell them that it's not just reaching those numbers that matter; it's how we do it. Hmm. So, you know, we're not we're not looking to cheat our way there. That's I guess right. that's the best way I can say right. it. Like, it really matters how we get there. We want to be uh, excellent. We hold ourselves to this really high standard, and so we're not willing to to discount that in order to get that growth. We want that right. growth to be because we are, you know, everyone is really pushing and moving in the same direction. And as I told you a second ago, we, we do seek to really take care of the people that are on our team, uh, reward them. They all, they, they get to participate in our success. And that's a, that's a big deal.
0: So part of your culture is everybody's going to the same goal. Everyone knows what the goal is and they know that they're accountable to make it happen. Right. And so when they're interviewing these people, they're like, we have to meet our smaller goal because we're doing big things here. And I need you to be part of this so that we can all win in this larger vision. That's right. I think that's where a lot of small companies struggle is that they get so wrapped up in the day-to-day that they lose sight of that larger goal. And what people really need is a larger goal to make it worth getting up and doing the extra effort.
1: Yes. At yeah. the
0: business because it's like you said before, property management is not easy. No, and you have terrible days yes. on occasion. Yes, and so looking towards that bigger mission makes it uh, makes people able to get through those tough spots. One
1: hundred percent. One
0: hundred percent. So, so how do you do this? Is it through meetings that you are always talking about the big, hairy, audacious goal?
1: Yeah, you know, it's part of what I'm going to share at the at the event this weekend. Is part of it's asking better questions, and when I say that. I have no way to be able to give your audience like an example of what I mean. That's not, it's, we ask questions in our, whether it's one-to-one meetings with our people or larger meetings, that they're not accustomed to being asked.
0: Like out in the world, they're not it, accustomed to being asked.
1: In our meetings, they're not accustomed oh, to being okay. asked. You asked. Know, when you follow KPIs, and so everyone gets used to, here's the, the one number or the five numbers or whatever it is that I'm responsible for, and then suddenly you ask them questions of, how did we get there? Mm-hmm. Let me dig a little deeper into um, some something that you haven't been asked in months, such as how many uh, calls did we receive yesterday from our this piece of marketing that we put out to generate new resident applications, and they're like, "Wait a second, I wait, I haven't been asked that in a while. Let me let me go back and and we try and ask questions that people are not accustomed to being asked. What it does for them, then they go and they ask those same questions to their team members or to each other of themselves there what are, what am i not seeing because it's not just the KPIs that matter going back to you know it's not just the result it is how are we getting there what can we do to improve even though we might be you know, a great example is we looked up and we only had 31 houses available out of 6700 properties managed only 31 were vacant available at that time out of all 11 markets wow and you would think that that would be you know, kind of, there's no need to have a meeting today. We only got 31 houses available, like we're all good. No, we dug into the number of calls that we were receiving that day, the, the number of applicants that had been turned down, what, how many applicants were approved out of these 31, how many of them have a, you know, what, what stage are they in in getting occupied? We really dug deep into the numbers and it sets a tone. So it sets a tone for everybody that there's one thing we're all going for, it's, it's not excellent. It's perfection.
0: Perfection. When
1: there are no properties available, that's the day we can sit back and say, what's next?
0: Well, then you ask yourself, well, are we asking enough in rent?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wait. And and that's a great, so that's a great point you bring up. I mean, it's, it's, how did we get here is our, so we, it used to be, you didn't want any properties vacant longer than, you know, whatever. We'll call it 50 days, but then it was 40 days and 30, then 20. And then why would why would a property be vacant longer than 10 days if we can generate calls on it? Let's figure this out. And then you look up and say, Well, did I Am I too am I too low? Am I, is that number should be, be higher? And the point is that that when people are it's a it's a process we call inspect what you expect. And when you are constantly asking them questions that they're not prepared to answer, because they haven't been asked in a while, you know it's not top of mind, suddenly you look up, and our our most seasoned team members, our real leaders, you ask them a question and they know. They're already digging into those details that, that you asked them about for three straight years until they finally realize that I have to know not just what the numbers are, but how we are operating, how we're getting there. And that's where that's where the real magic happens with all the team members. They know they they don't want to be held back because they know I'm constantly asking questions and trying to improve to reach perfection
0: so curiosity is just part of your culture right it's from the top to the bottom right so be curious about the numbers be curious about how things are happening
1: yeah yeah absolutely and and it's I will tell you one other thing that they ask when somebody comes in they ask you know at your last job how many days off did you take how, did you ever call in sick you know do you is this something that you you know you have allergy seasons, You're going to take a couple of weeks off. You know that they ask these questions
0: because they know that they're going to be pulling their weight if they're out.
1: Yeah, they they. So what we tell our team is that we want you to take vacation. We want you to take your time off. If you're sick, I mean, of course, you stay home. If you're habitually sick, right. This may not be the right environment um, because here it's fast paced and it's moving. As far as vacations go, do your job, and when you go, you leave this behind. Don't leave us a bunch of issues. Don't leave us a bunch of problems. But go. Take your time off because when you're here, we want you all in, all engaged. You know, pulling towards the the next billion or the the next billion after that or whatever it ends up looking like. That's what we're that's what we're shooting for.
0: Another thing that I've noticed about your company culture is that you take uh, pride in your customer service. Absolutely. On your website, you say that you call each owner once a month. Right. So, can you tell us more? I think that that's a great customer service experience. Um, tell us more about how that, what that looks like in the real world.
1: Sure. Well, the, you know, the, the number one impediment to a, a remote owner, somebody far away, getting involved is fear, and their fear of communication, their fear of I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. We hear it constantly from our own owners who are saying please go into North Carolina, you know, please start managing my properties in the, you know, any random state, uh, anybody that's listening out of Carolina, that was not a, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, we hear it all the time that the complaint, the impediment, the reason why people don't grow their portfolios is that it's a fear of, of not knowing. And so we sought to answer that. We sought to um, create an environment where the owners would be well-informed and also sleep well. So. We don't always have every answer they need right then on the phone. But our team, I will get back to you within 24, or 48 hours and have the answer you're looking for. And then follow through. That's a big deal. And that's the one kind of, we'll just call it the differentiator. It's, it's one thing that so few operators are willing to do because that person now is not a revenue generator. That's not a That's not a property manager that's handling rooftops. That is someone who is only and expense to your company, calling clients and and just saying, hey, I'm here. You can rest easy, I'm here. But what you gain, what we've gained, and what I think any management company that implements something like that would gain is confidence from those investors to continue to um, rely on your company to build their portfolio. Absolutely.
0: The other thing that I think is brilliant about that is, that people will wait for their questions for the phone call. Sure, right. Sure. So you minimize that those emails that also burn out your your property management staff.
1: Of course. So
0: they're not coming back to their desk and seeing 200 emails after being out in the field all day because they are taken care of at that one meeting. Right. And then the owner knows to like write them down in basically a parking lot format. And have them have them presented at the meeting. Well, so it's great customer service, and they can manage their time better.
1: And even those that prefer email all the time as a client, they they still have a dedicated team member that is not in the field that mm. they can email at 8 a.m. and have a response at, at 8:30 or you know, have a response back that I'm getting you the answer. I'll be back shortly. Whatever it ends up being, um, it just it it relieves. The rest of the team to do what Mm. they need to do because we've got the customer over here. We've got the service side.
0: So it's a role that you have that's like the customer communication. Hundred percent. Okay. Hundred percent. And so then that also drives that concierge service that sets you apart from maybe some of the you know the lower and or very inexpensive property management companies. Yeah. It's. I mean,
1: I think I've discussed this so many times in different venues in different ways that. It's hard to do what we're talking about doing. It requires revenue. You have to figure out how to generate you know, the dollars coming in. And so, because each of these are, it's expensive to implement something like this, but it, um, it pays off. It has, a, it has a payoff if you're willing to, to commit that time to it. And, but where, where it really pays off is the experience that that investor has.
0: Absolutely. And then they're telling their friends about yes. you. And I think in this age of social media, taking care of your current customers and clients is so important. Yeah. Uh, that, that that's the best, that's the best advertising you could get is if somebody used your raving fan. And so it sounds like you're providing this excellent experience for them that they'll never forget and that they'll tell all their friends and family about.
1: And you know what else it does? It, and it really, because we're not perfect. Yeah, you know, well, we're
0: no- Nobody's perfect.
1: Correct. And that's why that's what we're striving for in every part of the business is perfection because you'll never get there. If if that's your goal, then you're going to keep striving. You're going to keep working. Well, it really dampens the stress on the owner when things aren't perfect or when you mm. actually make a mistake. Because, you know, there's there's things that happen in management and then there's mistakes that you make. Mm-hmm. And for an owner to know that, you know, we built a relationship over yes. time, like you do care about me, you know.
0: You built up this goodwill yeah. that when a problem happens or, I mean, we've had a lot of places there are maintenance delays, I mean, right. the right. that we have no control over because of um, of course things being just for a number of reasons everyone in property management knows, that when those things go wrong, you've built up all this goodwill this strong relationship that can weather that storm. Right. So right. that's awesome. I want to parlay that to the customer service experience with tenants. Mm-hmm. So during the pandemic, you guys went above and beyond for your tenants. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did?
1: Can I Can I say something? yeah I'm going to, because I use, again, different verbiage. Mm. And it's going to be, again, a part of my, my talk here at the conference. Um, we don't, we changed the word from tenant to resident, and we did it company-wide in, in every sign in our office, every piece of paperwork we use, we ingrained it within our team to replace the word tenant with resident. You know, when you're, So when you're talking about service, that, that little shift already is, it really changes the way our team approaches the resident in our home. Um, with the requests that they have, with the needs that they have, with the way we provide service to them. And it actually, it worked. I mean, it was, uh, you would think that this is just a word and maybe it doesn't matter. My talk tomorrow is words do matter.
0: Oh, I think it, I I couldn't agree more um, about where you're going with this. And also the way that you talk about the residents. Yes. So the team is getting cues from the owner of the company or the partners at the top, and they're learning whether they treat these residents with respect or if they're just, you know, someone sitting in a house and we care only about the owners. Right. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you've elevated the language and then thereby elevated the experience of the residents.
1: Yeah. And and let me tell you one thing about their experience, okay, just to kind of really, for for everybody watching, listening to really understand that we survey all of our owners and all of our residents after every closing. So now a resident has done a rental closing and we survey them to ask them on on every different level, everyone that they interacted with, every stage, you know, what, what's their perception? What can we do better is really what we're asking. And anything that is below a nine or a 10, we call the resident. So they can give us an eight and we're gonna call them to say, what could we have done better? Mm. But the, that's just, and most of the time they're like, well, what do you mean? I don't, you know, it, it was great. <laughs> the, if I had to rate my last one, it would have been a two. So what are y'all calling me for? It's very interesting to hear their reactions to us. But we have, uh, when a resident sends us a survey and they say that the, the closing did not go smoothly, uh, they didn't return my call in a prompt manner. I moved into the home and... I mean, anything. Something wasn't clean. This wasn't or... clean. There were bugs over here. This lock doesn't work. That electric outlet is out. We, so we get that survey. Within 24 hours, we're at that home. Every single time we bring flowers mm. for, the, for the lady of the home, we bring cookies there. To, uh, and we're there saying, show us what is wrong. We're here to fix it. And then we call back behind and say, did we handle that the, to your satisfaction? What it's won us in return is people saying, this is like, this is, this doesn't happen. This right. This does not happen in this industry. Nobody cares about what I said. We have people say that I just wrote that down so that you don't charge me and keep my, you know, my deposit on the back end for a broken outlet. I didn't think you were actually gonna come fix it, much less bring me flowers or cookies and much less within 24 hours of me saying this.
0: But that's such a difference because people will say, that's too expensive. I could never do that. Flower's expensive. But you know what's more expensive? A vacancy. (laughs) A vacancy. No, someone moving in and having a bad move-in experience because then it's the pile-on effect. They call every day of the week over every little thing, anything, everything that even is fine. It's not even a problem, becomes a problem because they hate you. So I feel like yes. you perfecting the, the t- uh, resident onboarding experience probably saves you so much time and money and the burnout factor. Like, those interactions are super stressful right. if the if the resident already doesn't like the company.
1: Well, let me, let me and, tell and you. And you're
0: fixing all that by just doing it right on the front end. Right
1: on the front end. And we the first time we had a bad survey, so we we read every survey with our leadership team at our one o'clock meeting. Again, somebody listening may say, God, I don't have time to do that. Are you kidding me? I, I can't bring them together every day at one o'clock to read surveys. It's a bigger meeting, but we read every survey. The first time a bad survey came through Of course, my dad, he sets the tone, and he about lost it on on everyone at the table. And he made the person leave. Leave the meeting now. Go get flowers and cookies now. Go get the, the, the manager of that particular renovation. Get them now. Pull them off the road and get to that house now. That was a couple of years ago. Today, when we have a bad survey come in, the leadership team says already handled. We were there this morning. This is what we did. We brought the cookies, we brought the flowers, we had the the meeting with the resident, they're good to go, everything's fit. So it's it went from us holding them accountable, mm-hmm. you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, and inspecting what we expect, the way we expect everyone around the room to treat that survey. To that's now filtered all the way down through the team where if a survey comes in, it's a quick phone call and the whole team is in action to get that fixed. And so Recently we had a we had a, a survey that we considered bad and the lady told us that I have two family members and a friend that rent from you and all of them rave about you and everything has been great except for these these little issues that I think are minor, but now I understand why everyone raves about you because of how quickly y'all you went responded. to fix this.
0: So here's the other thing I love about what you do. So your your father set this high expectation, if things aren't perfect, we're gonna fix it. Everybody knows what the expectation is. Now, do you get C players on a team of A players? I mean, they can't last very long.
1: They sneak in. <laughs> they sneak in. They
0: sneak in.
1: <laughs> and, and you're right, they do not last very long. It's a- um,
0: A players don't want to work with C players. No. And when you expect A quality work, you have fewer problems. And when someone doesn't fit in the, I mean, it, it's obvious right away.
1: Yes, and they recognize it. No one on the team uh, frets about a new opening a you know we we're, we're down a person, nobody because everybody's like not a problem we can We can pick up whatever slack we have to pick up, and I would rather than be surrounded by somebody that that is not driven by by the values that we bring to the table that that what makes us you know tick every day so
0: and when the expectations are clear, they also trust you yes. So even when you don't maybe uh, you make a change and you can't tell everybody exactly what's going on right away, they know they know where you're coming from. Yeah. Do do sunset as well? Yes,
1: they will. They will allow us. We we recently hired a VP of marketing. Um, a young lady came from uh, Hilton, and she'd been with us since January, and it's very very interesting. She sat us down, you know, early April, and she said, you know, I was. She's, she tells us, I'm talking to my husband, and he's asking me, like, why do I always have this smile on my face? Like, when I'm getting ready to go to work, like, I, like he's like, you truly love what you're doing now. And she's like, yeah, I do. And she's like, and, and I figured out why. It's like, these guys literally believe that they can do anything that they set out. And it's not a, she's like, it's not fake. It's not a, let's just throw it up there. She's like, no, when they settle in on they're going to do something they are going to do it. And everybody in the company believes that. And so, when we come out and say, we're gonna do this or do that, whatever it ends up being, everyone just says, show us the plan. Let's go, because we're, it's going to occur. I love that.
0: So, I want to talk about scaling. So, you have scaled to 11 different markets. Right. And so, and you said earlier before the show, it's not through acquisition. Right. So, how are you picking the people to begin these new markets? Do they come to Memphis and train? How does that whole work, that process work? It's
1: a it's a mix. So, again, we have a fantastic team of leaders that they understand whatever is, you know is asked of and called upon that we do. So, we had a team this week uh, that was in Florida for three days, reviewing a couple of markets, laying the groundwork for how we're going to enter into those markets. While they were there, we have a gentleman who is the head of our vendor acquisitions. And so for all markets, all he's doing constantly is interviewing, acquiring, and preparing new vendors to build out our vendor wow, teams.
0: Interesting. Even in the so markets. It's like a that, real process.
1: Yeah, even in the markets that we're in today, they are they are always building out those vendor teams. And so
0: can I ask you a quick question on that? Sure. Do you hold them accountable to KPIs too, the vendors that oh, you use? Oh,
1: absolutely. Oh. Yeah. And so, entering into a market is the most difficult time mm-hmm. because if they don't want to be held to a KPI, they're just going to walk. That's okay. But once you build a team and they begin to trust you that, if I say we're going to do five jobs a month, 5 we're going to buy and renovate five homes a month, so you are going to be kept busy with us, and you demonstrate that that's true, then they will... You know, it's it's easier to hold them to, you know, that accountability. You have to kind of earn their trust. But let me tell you the the amazing thing. Much of our footprint is close to one another. You know, it's very it's, a, it's mm-hmm. not a massive footprint between those eleven cities. We got a lot of vendors that maybe started in Memphis or maybe they started in Dallas that today they have operations in four, five, six different cities mm-hmm. that we're in.
0: So they grew with you. They
1: they one hundred percent said if you're going, we're going. You're risking, we're risking, uh, and we'll do this together. How
0: cool is that?
1: Yeah, it's uh, a... It's like
0: a ripple effect. Oh, 100%. Your culture supersedes just your business and other people want to be part of it.
1: Yes, yes. And then what what ultimately ends up happening is we have team members that they want to... They may be young. They may be starting the family. Maybe you know we're going to a market that they're from or near from there. So we have a lot of team members that actually relocate to help start markets for us. I love it. Um, and then they now they're responsible for hiring the team around them. Our leadership will travel in and help them get other team members hired and trained up to our our standards. Meanwhile, there's somebody back you know at the home office that is interviewing and setting up vendors for them. So it's a it's a very yeah, you know, we have a process for it. I'm um, sure you do. Um, yeah. And it sounds
0: like you guys yeah. are very process-oriented. Yeah,
1: and we've been looking to improve upon that, but it's, you know, as I said earlier, it, it just comes with belief. You know, there's just, if you don't believe you can do it, you're the wrong person, you know, for, for us, for whatever we're looking to do. So if we, if we lay something out, like we're going to go to a new city and you believe, then, then let's go you're, you know, we're going to hold you accountable, but if you believe in everything you've learned so far, you're going to be successful. I love that. Yeah.
0: So, um, now no, no one's perfect. No. So I'm sure you've made a boneheaded move, maybe.
1: Oh, or two.
0: <laughs> Could you share with us one of your business boneheaded moves?
1: Yeah. Can it be investing related? Yeah. 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 So this is an easy one for me that when I began investing in real estate, I had an idea of the portfolio I was going to build, and I started with uh, lower-priced assets, which that that was perfectly fine. But I wanted to own 15 of them, and it was a specific number for me. Um, I was looking for a particular performance out of those properties, and I knew what they were all going to go to from my, you know, giving properties to my kids, funding my part of my retirement, whatever it ended up being. I had a very specific, well thought-out plan, and I was following it very well. But I really began to think that I knew what I was doing and that I was very natural at it and began to not pay attention, I guess, as much to the the details of everything I was doing. And I looked up and found myself in this, just this belief that I was a great real estate investor and I, I could do no wrong. I had 57 houses that I owned, rather than 15. Wow. So, almost, you know, whatever, three, yeah. times, three times larger than the portfolio I wanted. I had bought so many bad properties, made so many poor investments, but I was the, you know, they talk about sitting at a poker table, and if you don't know who the pigeon is, you, you need to get up. I was the guy that somebody would call and, you know, smooth talk me, convince me. You're, I mean, you're the smartest investor I know. You're so good at this. <laughs> you're, these three properties are perfect for you. And I was like, oh, well, I, I appreciate that. And they, yeah, they do look good, I'll take them. I had 57 houses, I, I, at the time I was running my own business which was different, it was outside of real estate. Real estate was what I was doing for my passive investments and I didn't have time for my own business. I was getting 200 to 250 pieces of mail a week that I would have to process oh and, and figure out, paying all those notes, paying all the insurance, you know, everything, uh, I was miserable, upset, and then 2007, 2008 occurs. Um, because of the, the particular price point I was in, massive, I was taking massive losses on vacancies oh and my maintenance. Gosh. Um, and so I had to really sit down and, and kind of take stock of the decisions I was making and how I was doing it. And the advice I give people today is create the plan that, that you want, that, that gets you where you want to go. Surround yourself with whomever you need to, to give you advice, but ultimately you make your plan and then you stick to it. Don't, don't let myself, you know, and I have a lot of clients where I help them build their portfolios. Don't let my team, not even, not even REI Nation can call you and say, Hey, you should, you should buy another property. That's no, you have your portfolio that you've set out to build, that you have the reasoning behind and the, you know, the, the, the knowledge of why you're doing it. And then don't let anyone derail you into, you know, with any form of flat or anything else, into building something that's that's not what you set out to do.
0: Mm, and I it, love that. So yeah. it's like know yourself, listen to yourself, and don't be persuaded by smooth talkers. No,
1: not at all. Not it is it is your portfolio. Ultimately, it's your responsibility. Um, and if you you know if you're patient and you do things, I'm going to say the right way, but that's so like. Not even definable, but you do things that are right for you. Patiently, you can you can reach whatever goal you have for building a portfolio. It's very easy to get uh, derailed by by other people, and that's that's my. I love that biggest bonehead move I ever made.
0: <laughs> so you've written a book. I have. Tell us a little bit about your book.
1: Yeah, I've actually um, I tell you I've, I've written two. One hasn't been. Uh, one has not been published Whoa. yet. One's, one's When's in, it
0: going to be published? You know,
1: it's going to be published in the fall, and it's not business.
0: Oh, this is. Uh,
1: I wrote a business book, which is what you're, of course, asking about, and it was called the Turnkey Revolution, um, and it it is based on fifteen those first fifteen years in the business, my family, and what we did and how we did it. the The purpose of the book is to help passive investors find and pick. A great company to work with, and avoid the biggest mistake that I made. Oh, that's the whole feel point like of the book.
0: You're giving back with your biggest boneheaded move too. Absolutely, make sure other people don't make the same mistake. That's right. Absolutely, that. absolutely. So that is our book giveaway. So, um, so after this show, if you like what you hear, please leave us some feedback in either the description of our YouTube in our YouTube channel, or it, at the Bootstrapper Show on Instagram, leave us a message in the bio, and you could win Chris Clothier's book, The Turnkey Revolution. So thank you so much for being yeah, here today. Of course, of course. We really appreciate it. This is
1: fun. I really uh, I, I, appreciate all the time you put into this and, and what you're doing. This is, this is a fantastic show, so I love it. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Yep. Well, that's a wrap. We'll see you next week on Bootstrappers.
1: This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club. Or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers.